Well, good morning again. If you'll uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 130, we'll read that here shortly. But we've been working through the Psalms of Ascent this summer, and the Psalms of Ascent are this collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, um, that, that pilgrims on making their journey to Jerusalem would sing together. Um, so these are songs for the road, songs for discipleship, songs for following Jesus, uh, songs for our journey. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 130, and it's been called one of the most Paul-like psalms because it talks about grace and forgiveness. Uh, so Paul had it on good authority when he said, you're saved by grace alone. And so let's read Psalm 130 and meditate on this together. This is the word of our God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we live our lives in the depths. Um, and so we come this morning needing your attention. We need your compassion. We need your steadfast love. We need all the benefits that come with knowing you. Lord, we need, your, we need you to be with us. So come and write the, the good news of the gospel in our hearts this morning that we might trust you in the depths and trust you and wait on you with hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I've, I've actually found the organization of the Psalms of Ascent really helpful. It's something we've looked at the last couple of weeks that these 15 prayers or groups into, are grouped together into five groups of three psalms. And so every you know, you can just count them out, start with 120. So 120, 121, 122, you bunch them together and you'll, you'll see a pattern emerge of where somebody cries out for help, they, they have need, uh, they see God's power interact on their behalf, and then the third psalm will meditate on the gift of peace that comes in connection with their need. And, and so that becomes a repetition as part of the journey of being a disciple of Jesus, like, God, help me. I have a problem, all right? And because God is my help, I'll be okay, which allows me to rest and have peace. And that repetition just goes on and on and on until you meet Jesus uh, in the new heavens and new earth, right? And so here's how this is helpful, because the, the first of Martin Luther's uh, 95 theses, right? He's, this is what kicked off the Protestant Reformation. This is why we're here. Uh, he, he, caused, he caused a stir, so to speak. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance, that it wasn't just a one-time deal, 
Lord, help me, save me. It's a pattern. It's, 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 it's Monday through Saturday. It's every day. And we go, okay, well, what, is, what does repentance mean? Does that mean I just need to be full of self-loathing? No, <laughs> that's penance. That's different. Repentance is just an ongoing, deepening recognition of your need for God to be your help, to use the words of the Psalms, right? And so if you're tracking this pattern that we'll, we'll use here in Psalm 130, right, the Psalms of Ascent don't show the, the life of faith to be an easy, easy ride in a cable car up to the top of the mountain, right? No, you're, you're praying an ongoing pattern of repentance where you're constantly in trouble. So you take a few steps up, you come back down the mountain a little bit. You go back up and you come back down the mountain, right? You're, this is just a wandering journey as we struggle on our way up to God. And so these psalms give you prayers to pray, uh, prayers of repentance, prayers of help, right? So when we come now to Psalm 130, which begins, I'm at, out of the depths I cry to you. I'm trapped in the deepest part of the sea. Um, it's a prayer that's basically saying the riptide has me and, and I have no hope unless I'm rescued. You can follow that pattern, right? Psalm 129, I'm sinned against. I'm in the, Psalm 130, I'm in trouble. I have guilt. But the Lord is coming. He, he's coming with redemption. There's his power. And then Psalm 131 is, well, because I know the Lord is coming, I can rest like a child, a weaned child with its mother. All right? So, why are we studying the Psalms of Ascent? It's because this is teaching us the pattern of the Christian life and prayers to pray as we go through, through the various trials and troubles and, and temptations. And so, let's, with that introduction, let's look at Psalm 130, because Psalm 130 answers this question, is how do you find hope uh, how do you live with hope in the depths, in the dark? How does God provide hope for the, the guilty? And so look, point one, right, we are waiting for God to help us in the dark. And that, that's why I'm calling the sermon, we pray with hope in the dark. That's what the psalm helps us do. Right, so let me start with this question. Do you, do you know how deep the Marianas Trench is? <laughs> right? the deepest point on planet Earth. Uh, the, the, the science nerds tell us that if you, you could drop Mount Everest into it and still have over a mile before it would touch the surface of the ocean, right? That's the depths, right? It's a, it's a water word. Um, that's, Hebrews were a land-dwelling people, so the depths were a terrifying place, um, right? If you know communities that don't where nobody knows how to swim, they don't talk about the water as something to be enjoyed, it's something to be terrified of, right? And when you're in the depths, especially the Marianas Trench type depths, it's dark, right? you can't see. And so this becomes a, a metaphor to say that life is, is and can be overwhelming and it's threatening to bring you down, right? It just becomes an image of I'm in trouble, like, in general, right? Like, any kind of suffering, any kind of trouble, you can just use that description. Lord, I'm in the depths. Help me. Right? To, to live in the depths is to be in a place where no amount of confidence, uh, no amount of self-help, 
I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you try and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? You're going down apart from outside intervention, apart from help. And we know that because there's other psalms that talk about it that way. Psalm 69, I'm, I'm in the depths, I'm in deep waters, and waves upon waves are crushing over me. The flood threatens to overwhelm me. I mean, it's that kind of desperation. It's being helpless. And so when we pray, when we're in trouble, the psalm tell, tells us and shows us, we're just asking God, pay attention to my pain. Hear my, hear my voice. Be attentive to my cries for mercy, for forgiveness. Right? And so this starts, the very beginning of this psalm is telling you that you have a privilege that people who don't know the Lord uh, are, are missing out on. You have the privilege of having the Lord's attention, right? Of having the Lord with you in the depths. That you can pray, God, pay attention to me and expect him to answer. Right? God pays attention. It's a really simple truth, but really profound. Right? So, when King Solomon was praying for the, the, the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, right? So he, he was the one who, who built the, the, the house of worship where, where God would dwell in the city of God. He ends his prayer of dedication. This is Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 40. Um, he says, Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayers of this place. Right? You can hear the overlap with Psalm 130. Let your ears hear my cry. Let your ears be attentive. And to us, that makes sense, right? They're building a house. This is where God dwells. This is in Jerusalem. This is where everybody's making their journey towards in the Psalms of Ascent. Um, of course, God is going to pay attention if you're talking to him in his house, right? This is, this is how a good family works. But this prayer takes that idea and says, you can pray that prayer even though you're not in the temple, even in the depths, at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, right? That we're in the dark, and yet we can pray trusting and knowing that God is paying attention to your, to your pain, right? And just sit in that good news. Because life in the depths, I mean, it's a lonely cry. Um, everyone knows from experience, suffering isolates you. When, when you have a problem, when you're in the depths, um, friends are really good, and family, right? Well-meaning, I'm not knocking them. Well-meaning people love to give you swimming lessons while standing on dry land. <laughs> Here's how you can fix this. Here's how you can do this better. But the longer it goes, the, the lonelier our cries become. And what Psalm 130 is, is connecting the dots to, is say, you can cry out from the depths and expect God to hear your cry. That you can seek him and he will be found. Uh, that even in the depths as you're adrift in the sea, he's not going to leave you alone. With him comes forgiveness, with him comes steadfast love, with him comes plentiful redemption. Right. So that's the good news, the beginning of the psalm, is that God pays attention. 
problem is when we get to verse 3, the problem of the psalm is also that God pays attention. <laughs> right? Because it says, if you, O Lord, mark iniquities, who, sh- who could stand? Right? Who could stand in his presence unashamed with their head held high, blameless? Right? And so it moves from a generic cry for help to my problem is, is me and what I've done. You know, some people will focus on, in general, and say this is a prayer only for suffering, but this is about sins, about our iniquities. You know, it's, that's what Martin Luther, that he's the one who wrote that song we sang, From the Depths of Woe. Um, he was meditating on Psalm 130 and says our problem is our secret sins and misdeeds dark. Who can stand? What, see, what's pulling us down in the depths, according to this psalm, is our guilt. It's our shame. And there's overlap with misery and suffering, for sure. But it's, it's explicit. Lord, if you were to mark, pay attention, keep track of, right? Get out your accounting book and, and, t- and, keep, and hold that against me, I'm in trouble. I'm going down. Right? The weight of condemnation is going to sink me. And so the good news is God pays attention. The bad news is God also pays attention. And so, what have you been beating yourself up for lately? Right. What, what have you done or said that you wished you didn't say? What good things should you have done that you didn't do? Or what word do you wish you could have back? You know, it's, this is an ordinary part of human life, isn't it? That, that we keep track of our iniquities constantly. All right? You may not have, a, I mean, some of us journal, I guess, but you may not have a written record of every little thing, but we keep score. I mean, don't you? That's life in the depths. That's life in the dark of trying to swim, trying to stay afloat with these heavy weights tied around your ankles of guilt and shame. Right. There's a, a science fiction show uh, that, that imagined uh, what if human beings invented a device where your, where your eyes became recording devices. And they were recorded in such a way that you could re- replay and access at any time, any memory, anything your eyes had ever seen. Right? So paying attention with eyes and ears. Uh, you could play, replay memories for yourself. You could also, because it's technology, right, you could cast it on the big screen so you can remember a funny memory with friends. Right? So imagine how that would go. Right? Kind of okay, but kind of terrifying. Because you can imagine, right, you're in the thick of a, an argument with your spouse, and you would say, I've never said such a thing. And she just goes, hold on, rewind. <laughs> right? May 7th, 1983. Right there. It's marking iniquities. Right? I mean, we would use that device for all kinds of things, right? Replaying guilty pleasures, recapturing joy. I mean, you can just see how marking iniquity by us doesn't go well. It would be dangerous. Right? And the psalmist is saying, What about the Lord who sees all, hears all, who makes you? who you owe allegiance to, 
What if he keeps track? Right? Keep track of your iniquities. So, okay, what, what is he talking about? What is iniquity? I mean, it's not a normal um, part of our vocabulary anymore. Right? It's, it's moral failure. Right? You used to be able to ask people if this, this question, right? anybody on the street, and they would have a context. If, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Right? And it's, it's tapping into that innate human desire to be good and to be good enough. But it's also tapping into guilt and the reality that, you know, even 30 years ago, there was a more collective understanding that God has a moral standard, and if he kept track, I'm in trouble, which would allow you to talk about Jesus and his forgiveness. Right? If he keeps track of my lusts, my anger, my pride, anything of what I've done wrong and the things that I should have done that I was too cowardly to try, right? I'm not getting into heaven. Right? You know, you could, you could even use uh, Francis Schaeffer's methods. You know, Francis Schaeffer used to say, imagine if you had this device, kids, this was a cassette tape recorder, right? <laughs> uh, that you didn't know was there, and every time you said out loud to someone else, here's what you ought to do, the recorder started playing. Right? So just imagine a machine that's always listening, right? before Alexi and, Alexa and Siri, <laughs> before your cell phone. And so Schaefer would ask people, right, imagine God pulling that recorder off your neck that you didn't know was there. You go, oh, where'd that come from? And then replayed it and said, I'm going to hold you to your standard. Right? So every time you said good people really ought to do this thing, right, use their turn signal, um, fill in, just fill in the blank. Move from as innocuous as traffic patterns to what words you say and, and what manners you should have. You know, say a, a decent human being should never do such a thing. What if he held you to that standard? Would you stand? Right. I and mean, we started with this good news. God sees and he pays attention. But it's not just to your suffering. It's to our work and to our words. Who could lift their head? You know, at this point, modern people, we tend to go... Yeah, but this is ancient people. They just had a strict moral standard. They just need to lower their standards, right? Or, or get a new set of standards, right? And so the, this, this is what we do, I mean, especially outside of the church, younger people, they don't think about guilt the same way. They're, they're, they're trying to be really hard to not be ashamed of themselves, right? I'm going to change my standard. I don't want the Christian standard. I don't want... God to tell me what to do. Only I can tell myself what to do. Right? Problem is they're ashamed of who they are. Right? Get, become more anxious, more depressed. Right? Instead of right, God showing you the weights that are carrying you down, they're tying their own weights to their ankles while trying to stay afloat. So in other words, if, if you're out there trying to figure out what's right and wrong for you, there's, that there's no guilt, and you just set up your own standards, you're going to, we fall short of our own standards that we just looked at, and shame is going to suck you down into the depths. And so, 
right? This is, this is the beginning here of what we're waiting for in the dark. We're waiting for someone to help us with our guilt and shame. Right? How does God rescue us from the depths? And that's where this prayer moves to, right? It asks that hypothetical question, if God were to keep track, we're in trouble. But what helps us stay afloat is, is the second part of that, that verse, verse 4. With you, O Lord, uh, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Right? And so notice, this is the Old Testament. And already there's confidence that God forgives. It's not a Jesus, it's not a Jesus thing in the New Testament only. This is, this is who God is consistently. Right? But let's connect the dots to fearing the Lord here. Right? To fear the Lord is not to run away terrified because of your guilt and shame. To fear the Lord right, is the effect of being forgiven. To, to move towards him because you know he forgives. Right? It's, it's simplest. To fear the Lord is to live as if God is in the room paying attention. To live as if God's eyes are the only eyes that matter. Right? And so because you're forgiven, you fear him. And because you're forgiven, right, that changes the way you live. We try to keep his ways. It's, it's the pattern of grace, therefore obey. I'm forgiven, therefore fear. Right? And so this is why you can cry out for help in your suffering and trust that God will move towards you rather than away from you. Because with him is forgiveness. With him is steadfast love. The steadfast love is a kind of love that binds it to you like a wedding, right? And says, I will never leave nor forsake you. It's a covenant love. And with the Lord, when he comes, it says it brings abundant or plentiful redemption. He can, he can heal and fix more than you can imagine. And it's not just limited to forgiveness. It's, it's a full-orbed picture of all things sad coming untrue. And so, what, what happens when you start praying in the dark and you, you rec- remember, God, with you is forgiveness. And, and you're feeling like you're stuck in the Marianas Trench and you're crushed by your guilt and shame because you know God is keeping track. When the Lord comes with forgiveness, right, you just feel lighter. You start to rise to the surface. And what, what you need him to do and what he, the psalmist says God does is he rescues. And so one of the things the psalmist is remembering is one of the, the most uh, referenced passages in the Old Testament. It's Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. All right, Exodus 34 is when God revealed himself to Moses and says, this is who I am, this is what I'm like. This is what you need when you're in the depths to remember God's character. And so when the Lord passes by Moses and Moses gets a glimpse of his backside, the Lord says, here's who I am, the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, third and fourth generation. So there's a tension there. God is just and forgiving. But did you catch 
the threefold description of what God forgives. What is, he in the, what is he in the business of forgiving? Iniquity, transgression, and sin. And so the idea of iniquity is human nature, the, the fact that you and I are we're curved in on ourselves. Um, these are the things we do because we're inherently selfish. Sin is, is this idea of missing the mark. Where, where you try really, really hard to do good and it still creates a mess. You try really, really hard to keep God's standards. Love God, love your neighbor, and you find out, I am not sufficient for these things. Right? It's, it's like aiming for the bullseye on a target. Right? Think about camp. And you, you're just not able to hit the bullseye. You constantly miss. And then transgression, it's this idea of willfully rebelling of I know what's right and I don't want to do what's right and I'm going to do what I want. Right? You know, he tells me to hit the target, I'm going to shoot it in the woods because it feels good. <laughs> in other words, human beings are a mess. There's a lot to forgive. But with the Lord is forgiveness and he forgives all of these things. Right? I mean, you and I are only aware of the smallest percentage of what God has forgiven in Christ in the gospel and continues to forgive. In some ways, you could describe the Christian journey as a growing awareness of just how much Jesus actually paid for. Because when I'm, you know, when you start your journey, you're only aware of like this one thing that I think is wrong with me. And if I fix this one thing, I'll be fine. <laughs> and that one thing turns into a whole lot of other things, which makes the cross that much sweeter. Right. And so, who is God, according to God? He is gracious and compassionate, who forgives that he might be feared. Can't you breathe a little bit easier knowing that's what he's like? Doesn't, we're not going to ignore his justice, we'll talk about that shortly. The idea is that when the real God comes down to you in the depths, he comes with forgiveness. It's like he gives you lungs to breathe in the waters of condemnation and guilt and shame so that you can live in the Marianas Trench because you know he forgives. You can talk about God's justice and say, how does he forgive? Well, he has to pay the cost. But one of the things that, that, that the Psalms of Ascent does that I wouldn't normally do is I would not naturally put Psalm 129 next to Psalm 130. Now you got to remember back to last week when we, we talked about Psalm 129 being the, the prayer of those sinned against and where you're angry and you want justice. Right. And so the, the psalmist in the last chapter prays for the wicked to be frustrated, for them to be like grass that withers, that, that they wouldn't last, that their plans for evil and harm would just fall apart. Right? Now, we tend to want, I want the God who forgives. I want the gracious and compassionate God. But if you're sinned against, you also need a just God who pays attention to evil. And if God pays attention to evil and the harm we do to other people, again, we're, we're, we're back in the cycle of repentance. 
Turns out Psalm 130 is really helpful if you're going to pray prayers of, against your enemies, right? Because you pray fully aware of your own iniquity while praying for justice, which helps take some of the, the blind fury out of the prayer, if I put it that way. It doesn't lessen the evil done. It highlights the blessing you have in being forgiven. So, let's apply this. All right? If God forgives, the question is, are, if God, and God pays attention to our sin and suffering, and he still forgives, are you paying attention to that? Is your heart listening? All right, so verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits in his word, I hope. It's putting all your hope in the trustworthiness of God's speaking to you. Pay, pay close attention to God's word. That's what Peter would say. Pay close attention to God's word like a light shining in a dark place. Right? And so if God's paying attention to our, to our moral failures, to our, to our suffering, um, pays attention to his own forgiveness, <laughs> we are called to pay attention to his promises that with you is forgiveness. Pay attention to his commands. Right? And so Israel's in this place. They're, they're waiting for a fuller redemption that they have. They know that God forgives, but they want a clearer picture. Waiting for God to, to help. So how do we wait? How do we do this as Christians, as New Testament, on the other side of the resurrection? Well, here's what the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 2. Pay attention to this great salvation that you've re received. And the great salvation in Hebrews is the better word that God has spoken, which is Jesus. That long ago, in many different ways, God spoke to us through the prophets and through the miracles. But today, he's spoken to us by his son, who is the exact imprint of his nature and the very radiance of God's glory. That when you look at Jesus, you see the Lord. And he has spoken to us today through what he did on the cross through his life. And so the, the prayer of Psalm 130 has been answered. If you're in the depths waiting for God to help, to bring forgiveness, to bring steadfast love, to bring a full redemption, that's the good news of the gospel. Right? Jesus came down. Jesus became, is God who became human, came down into our depths, he brought forgiveness through his shed blood. He brings steadfast love. It's this covenant commitment that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's bringing plentiful redemption. It's forgiveness now, resurrection for eternity, a resurrected life. So that one day you can not only have the hope of being forgiven, but post-death, when Jesus returns, and we, we're in the new heavens and new earth, you have a body where you don't need forgiveness anymore. Your very self will be healed. And so Hebrews 2 says, we should pay much closer attention to what we've heard so we don't drift away. Right? What do you need to pay attention to? Well, what did Jesus accomplish for you? To those who are ashamed of themselves, right? To those who feel like 
your greatest enemy is you, is yourself. In chapter 2, the writer of the Hebrews would say, it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in order to bring many sons to glory, this is the opposite of shame, is glory, it's praise, right? being famous, being, being, being praised. He said, it was fitting that this God should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. There's Jesus down in the depths for you. And then it says, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call, to call them brothers. Right? That's climbing down into the depths to be with you in your shame and your self-loathing to say, I am not ashamed of you. You're ashamed of yourself. Let my love cover your shame. Right? He goes on, quotes a psalm and says, where I will tell of your name, God, to my brothers. He, he, he adopts you into the family and says, you're mine. Right? There, are, there are no black sheep in God's family. Right? And in order to turn your shame into praise to glory, God makes Jesus perfect through his suffering to do what we couldn't do to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died. To the guilty and those afraid that what we've done is so bad and you, you can't turn off that instant replay in your head, right? still in chapter 2, Jesus had to be made, made like his brothers. This is in, Brothers is, is an all-inclusive gender term, saying it's an honor to be a son. Right? Dudes are a bride. We'll talk, we can talk about that if you have questions. But it's saying Jesus was made to be like us, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation, to make a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, with Jesus is forgiveness so that you, you might trust him. And it gets to the point where you get to Hebrews 10 and it quotes some wonderful Old Testament promises where it says, uh, to those that God has perfected for all time, you can be accepted right now as perfect in Christ. The same people he is changing, he is sanctifying. God says to those people, I will remember their sin no more. It's gone. Right? And so are you paying attention to God's word? Right? Israel's called to wait for the Lord. We, we, we see Jesus... What we're waiting for now is the dawn of the fullness, the finishing of his plan, <laughs> right? The new heavens and new earth coming down and, and wiping away our tears. Um, that, as we sang this morning, we're, we're waiting for uh, that, that tearless morning. And we wait more than the watchman waits for the war morning. And so if you're tracking it with how this works, this is a confident hope. Right. Yeah, there's trouble. Right. My first week in Mississippi, at a temp temporary job down in, in downtown Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi, and I was eating lunch on a picnic table on the sidewalk, and this uh, young guy who had just gotten out of prison uh, just sat down and started talking. Um, once he heard my accent, he wanted to know why this weird white Yankee moved down to Mississippi and what I thought of their great city, Jackson. And so, yeah, that was my comment. Is, you know, downtown is a beautiful place. And don't know much about the city, but um, he, just, he just looked at me and said, you know, wait till it gets dark. It's like I am legend out here. 
when the zombies come out. That's when people get hurt. Right? It's a pretty haunting thing to say. But that's what watchmen know. That's why you have watchmen, because the world is not safe. Right? Watchmen know that after 2 a.m., nothing good happens. Uh, that evil thrives in the dark. But watchmen also know, as the metaphor says, that, that morning is coming no matter what happens at night in the dark. Right? And so when it says, hope in the Lord, my soul, uh, wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, this is a, a confident waiting. Because you don't have anything to do with the sunrise, it just happens. Right? And so, we're waiting for the Lord in the, the way you wait for the sunrise. Friends, hope and, put your hope in that, the, the, these words. All right? See, when it says, O Israel, put all your hope in the Lord, for with him is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Right? We're, we're waiting for Jesus, who is called the sunrise. That's what Luke chapter 1 calls him, baby Jesus is referred to as the sunrise from on high. And now on this side of the resurrection, we're waiting for the, the bright morning star. We're waiting for plentiful redemption. So, let's close here. How do you pray? How do you pray in the depths? You pray confident of forgiveness. So pray knowing your past is covered full of confidence that your future is secure. Right. So we get to pray with a confident hope in the dark, even in the Marianas Trench, even when life stinks, because you know, because Christ walked out of the tomb, the sunrise is coming. Right. Another important question is, do you pray for the Lord, for his presence to be with you? Right. I love the way the psalmist puts it. Right. My soul waits for the Lord, but then it describes what's coming with him. Right. The Lord's coming with him is forgiveness. The Lord is coming with him is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. But the center of that attention is it's not his benefits, <laughs> which I know it's really easy to look at his benefits because they're really good. It's, it's looking at the person who's giving these gifts looking at Jesus, all right? Which moves us, all right, we, we wait in the dark, full of hope, but it, it leaves us here at the end, verse 8, 7 and 8, to remind us that we don't go through this stuff alone, all right? Because you notice how the psalmist moves from his own personal misery and guilt and shame to a personal hope to, hey, there are other sinners and sufferers out there. Israel, pay attention to what God's done for me. Right? In other words, Israel, all of God's people pay attention that God and his benefits are for y'all too. <laughs> right? And so when we wait on the Lord, we don't wait alone. We wait in community. We wait in the church. We wait with our, our brothers and sisters, um, which means if you're drowning in guilt and shame, don't carry it by yourself. 
find someone in the church to talk to. James will go so far as to say we should confess our sins together to someone else. Which requires trust, for sure. Uh, we're, we're called to share our suffering together if we're waiting it in the dark. So that you can both sit in the depths, be comfortable not trying to fix it when, it's, when you're that helpless, and just say, we're going to wait on the Lord together. We have this hope. Let's just pray for God to act for us. Right. See, part of, part of this is a testimony and, and teaching us and modeling us how to, how to live life together. That, that God is at work uh, giving his plentiful redemption to sinners and sufferers, of which I am foremost. And we get to share that gift with the community. And so then Psalm 130 moves from a prayer to a testimony. So, Go and learn what it means that with the Lord there is forgiveness that he might be feared. Let's pray. Father our God, we, we thank you for this gift of Jesus, that because he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, he, you remember our sin no more. And I just pray for all of us who, who are experiencing some form of the depths this morning that, that you would reorient our hope and we would leave here more confident, paying more attention to your words and your promises than when we came. So continue to show us, Jesus, and may we live as if you, Father, and your eyes are all that matter. And because of Christ, you are pleased with us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and sing, nothing but the blood. <laughs>